Hey guys, what's up? My name is Kyle and Sarah, and I'm what most people describe as a restaurant guy. I grew up my entire life working in restaurants, and since that point, when I first started washing beer steins at a craft brewery on Long Island in 1994, my hospitality career has brought me all over the world in almost every position you can imagine in a restaurant, up to and including a restaurant owner-operator for 10 years. So, what does that mean? I'm not looking to impress you with my total skill set. All I'm looking to do is take all those experiences, bundle them together, and through multiple platforms, including this podcast, the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, is share those experiences with you in an an effort to help reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. It is a massive undertaking. Restaurants fail at an alarming rate, and on this podcast – I will bring you my experience and the experience of other industry professionals, uh, whether they're owner operators, bookkeepers, accountants, lawyers, vendors, restaurant designers, whatever they do, if they have a connection to the restaurant, I want to talk to them because I want to share their knowledge, their experience with you. So this is it, the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Thanks for checking it out. There we are. I'll mute that on my end. Cool. All right. All right. Cool. We figured it out. Here we are. We got it. So, um, Gabe, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you do? So, I'm Gabriel Gonzalez with Regency Centers. I'm a landlord rep. Um, I represent Regency. We're REIT out of, based out of Jacksonville. And I do retail leasing for our shopping centers down in South Florida. So, I handle pretty much all of Miami-Dade County and half of Broward County. Uh, and about 26 shopping centers, 3.3 million square feet of retail space, uh, predominantly grocery anchored centers. That's our kind of, that's our bread and butter. Right. Uh, and then on the side, I, I own a few retail spaces down here in South Florida that I manage with some partners, uh, which is always a delight. <laughs> now, partners are for dancing. That's what somebody told me. That's the one like. Uh, <laughs> I would agree. Having been in with some partners, like. Uh, I uh, definitely made some uh, some mistakes in my hubris thinking I knew everything that I would not do again. But, you know, you live and you learn. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I was telling you my story before, I had a horrible fallout with my partner. So I can relate. It's just tough dynamic to work with. You know, it's uh, too many chefs and it's not a lot of uh, – I found that it was like the differentiation of duties and who does what. It's just you can never – even if you put it down on paper, it never got to exactly where – it's too much. It's a lot. It's a lot when you're just – everybody's got a direction that they want to go in, right? Everybody's got an idea. And when you're in the restaurant business, brokerage business and all that, you you're, tend to be a little bit of a, a leader. You're a headstrong guy to be, first of all, in the restaurant business, good God. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. you got to be a leader. you got to be able to take all of that comes in that business. Yeah. You're handling food. You're dealing with particular customers. you got partners. you got a lender. you got vendors. Godspeed. It's a business that I know I can't do. You know you can't do. You have no interest. So you're not one of those people like, you know what, I always want to, you know. That's smart, though. Where, where do you pick that up on? From being in the business that you're in or just you can see? Yeah, being in my business and seeing, you know, especially now, I've got about 1,200 tenants in my portfolio. So a lot of them are food. Yeah. And so I see what these guys go through day in and day out. I see the you I, you got to love being in the restaurant business. You do not get into the restaurant business to make money. Right. You get in it because you love it. 
and I see so many people get in it for just money, and man, I can count on one hand the amount of times that goes right versus the dozens of times I see it go wrong. And it's for me, there's just so many other types of business and vehicles to invest in versus getting into a food space. Uh, it's just, it's not for me. It's not my cup of tea. So then what does that mean for you at Regency? Because I mean, you get, so you get these guys coming in and they're like, oh, I have a restaurant space. Or they say, hey, can we turn that space into a restaurant? Like, with you feeling that way, what, what instincts do you use to decide if you're going to pursue that kind of deal? I think a lot of it initially comes down to the feeling you have with somebody. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years. You can kind of sit with somebody and see where their head's at, number one. So is this the kind of operator I want in my center? That's number one. Number two, then I start asking questions about the business. You know, all right, who's your, who's your core customer? Uh, let me see a copy of the menu. Uh, you know, why do you put this on the menu? Right. What are your food costs? You know, why did you use this sauce instead of that sauce? So you start just asking some general questions in conversation. And if they don't have decent answers just in those first five minutes, this is somebody who hasn't really put a lot of time into it. I don't really want a food operator who's going to blow out tomorrow. Right. Um, and those are a lot of the big things is instinct. You know, he's just been doing it long enough and you can see numbers and financials. And I just had a guy in here last week who wanted to open up, was it a uh, wraps, like a wraps concept. Startup business. The space is kind of, it's in a grocery anchor center, but it's on the back of the center. It's not a space really for food. Right. And, you know, I told him that. I was like, I don't think this is the best use of that space. I don't think a food operator is going to survive back here. Was it an existing would, food space or no? No, it would need a full conversion. Wow. So, a hood, 1500 bucks, so, you know, linear foot just on the hood. Yeah. Grease trap, 15 grand, I got to go out the back. You're in 30 G's just, just saying it's food before you really get into construction and I was like, fine, how much money you got? 50 grand. Okay. That's this is the end of the conversation <laughs> because I, I can't do anything with it. You know, you're, you're going to spend more than 50 just in your build out, let alone opening the business. Oh my God. We yeah. get a lot of those calls every day. Wow. And I mean, you live in the market too. So you're going to see a guy who either you recognize or you don't, right? Like, I mean, Hey. It, it, a lot of people know, and if I ask around and nobody knows who you are, even though Miami's a big metropolitan city, everyone knows everyone, right. especially in the restaurant food space. So if you are a true startup and nobody knows who you are, that's kind of a red flag for me, but we're still going to have a conversation. But if you don't have the answers to the questions, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And, I, and we live in a market where if you have a second gen space, you can rent it out fairly quickly. There's not a lot of second gen spaces on the market right, right. now. So, and do you find that kind of pick and do you find that you most of that interest comes for the second gen spaces, or are they like convert anything? They don't care if it's second gen or not. Like, what what's the what do you see? Everybody doing? wants second gen. Yeah. That that's ninety percent of the people who are looking, and that ten to fifteen percent that will convert anything are operators that are just, they, they don't know. Right. Their mom and pop, he thought of the idea last week. He made a good dish a few months ago, and now he's going to open up a restaurant. Um, that's what I tend to see a lot of. But the guys who know what they're doing, the guys who, you know, either they had a food truck or they worked at a kitchen or they've got some experience, know that to build out a restaurant space, it's expensive, it's pricey. So they'll, they'll target second-gen spaces 100%. And when we get one, I think I've got... Uh, 132 vacancies 
in my portfolio and for our restaurants. Okay. So that kind of shows you how, how rare it is to have a second gen space. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, I don't know, in New York, there's not a lot of restaurants in shopping centers. They tend to be, like, in a little downtown area. Or if you're in a city, obviously, there's not, like, in Manhattan, there's not really any shopping centers. There's no shopping centers. Right. What, what's different about being in a shopping center? For, what's an advantage of being in that shopping center for a restaurant operator who, you know, maybe is new to it, they don't know? What are some things? Because I know a lot of them get put off, like, I don't want to be in a shopping center. So if you are in a Manhattan type setting or a downtown urban setting, then I would agree. Shopping center is not the way to go because then you're, you're limiting who you want the foot traffic. You want people walking by suburban world, like where we are in South Florida is other than your Miami beach, Brickell, Linwood, very sexy parts of town, which are not the majority of Miami. The rest of the market is a suburban marketplace. People are not walking around Miami. They are driving into a grocery anchor shopping center. They are going into the store and they're buying, you know, apparel, clothes, food, right. blah, 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 whatever they're doing. So here you need the grocery driver because we're such a suburban. Although people hear Miami and they think of, you know, South Beach, that's typically the thought that they see, but there's so much more to Miami. So you need that cross traffic. You need to be a one stop in a one stop place where somebody's coming in to do shopping, picking up some clothes, picking up the dry cleaning, yeah, going to get sense. their accountant and grabbing some food on the way out. So you, yeah. you need that. You don't want to see your account on the way out. <laughs> see them on the way in. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a stigma here, even though it is the suburbs, because we have um, the team that I work on, we now have a Whole Food Anchor Center. We have okay. um, a couple of these other big names that are going out of there, like Pier One, Models. now the news today, Models and all that stuff. Yeah. And the you center. Oh, my God. What's that? You saw that today. I was like, dude, another one. Dude, my God. And Models hit me, though, because that was, like, such a place for me as a kid. Like, as a kid, to go there for Little League. I was like, oh, okay. really? They're dying, too? But um, I have a great space there, like, right near the Whole Foods, 3,500 square feet. And all the local restaurants are like, ah, I don't want to be in a shopping Even though the opposite. cars a day, I-95 intersection, the whole thing that plays well, I would imagine, in a market like yours. Yeah. Yeah. With a grocery anchor, like a Whole Foods, it's, like – you almost have to beat people off of just trying to get into the center yeah, right? because everyone's trying to be around that anchor, that draw, uh, because we don't have a lot of walking traffic. There's really maybe four pockets in all of Dade County that are walkable outside of the beach. You've got Brickle, Wynwood, little pockets like downtown Dayland and downtown Doral that are creating these little echo two to three block communities. But outside of that, it's all suburban. And it is way too hot to be walking around Miami. Oh, so people drive to where they need to be. There's no walking out here. Yeah, that's that. I mean, we're not a walking community. No, and I, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think that we, I don't know, we up here, I think that it's still seen as like a lesser quality for some reason. I don't know. I think we just have a ways to go. I think these little downtowns and these, at least the market I'm in, which is just north of Manhattan, so it's the Bronx, then it's Westchester County, is. You know, Southern Westchester is very much drawn to the city. So they think that their dining experience should be like the city. Middle Westchester County, um, you know, it's more like little towns, like one strip downtown, and they want to be a cute little restaurant in the corner. But then they're like, we don't do the volume. And we're like, hey, but what about this Whole Foods spot right next to Whole Foods? Oh, I don't want to be in a shopping center. That's <laughs> like, wow. come on, man. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
So maybe I, I had no that. idea. Okay, so I'm learning something new today. Yeah, these these little well, these towns are affluent, and they're and the people will spend money. But what happens is if you have like a busy night, well, you basically serve the whole town. So they're not coming back tomorrow night. So it's tough to drum up like a real steady business in some of these suburban towens. The good ones do it really well, but there's just not enough dense oh. where then everyone else can like play off of it. It's like two or three restaurants in the town crushing the other ones are just kind of happy to survive. So we thought it'd be okay. a great move, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, so tell me, you, you and I were talking about it before. Uh, we both work for big names in the real estate on different sides and commercial real estate on, on different sides here. What impact has like using social media for you um, had on your business? Um, well, like we were just talking about, I have showings this week straight from social. Um, I think I've got six showings this week and four of them are just from social media. And it's just brokers who see, hey, that space is available. I think it's a good fit for my client or a tenant reaching out directly. But not just in business, but just being able to have a broker to call and ask a question about a deal. It's been a great way to network. Yeah. And for me, before social media, so I've been using social media now for I want to say four or five years before I would walk into a room and nobody knew who I was. And I would literally have to reintroduce myself over and over and over and over again yeah. to the point where I was like, this is, you know, I just did a deal with you guy. Like you really don't know who I am. <laughs> um, and now it's to the point where the conversations are not, Hey, what are you working on? It's, Hey, how was Disney last week? Uh, yeah. You know, Hey, I saw that you were at Aventura mall last night. How was that store that you went to? Did you like it? Did you not like it? The conversations are more real yeah. and it's basically networking on scale. Yeah. I'm able to maintain a relationship with several hundred people in my industry by one tap of the phone versus how did you do it before? I would go to an event, have lunch, or, you know, how many lunches can you really have in a year? How many drinks with people can you have in a year? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's been a life, for me, it's been a life changer. It has changed my career a hundred percent. Um, moving to a region was somebody, a, a recruiter who saw a video of mine online. So it, it's, it's, is Regency supportive of that? Are they like, Hey, yeah, do it. Or like, what? They're like, yeah, get the spaces out there. Are they, are they okay with you putting yourself before Regency? So far, no one has said anything, There you go. but I'm also very careful as to what I post out there because I'm very well aware, you know, I work for one of the largest REITs in the country. So there's a certain responsibility that has to come with that because if I were to say X, Y, Z about a retailer in a negative light, that right. can have serious ramifications for right. us across the portfolio. Right, right, of course. So it's been very cautious. They, uh, you know, I, I'm aware that a lot of Regency corporate watches all of my social media, um, but nothing has ever been said thus far other than what do you need from us to do this better? Um, so they've been very supportive of that. And I think Regency is aware of the shift. And we were talking about this before, out of all the practices, retail is at the forefront of where the consumer is. Yeah. I think Regency is aware of, hey, the consumer changed. And if we are going to be the leader of grocery anchor shopping centers in the country, we need to keep up with where those tenants and those consumers are. Yeah. Um, so, so far it's been good. Uh, it's a learning process. Um, I tend to keep my brand, it's my brand. You know, I spent a lot of money right. and time investing into it. Yeah. Um, but I'm also aware of that the vehicle that I have is Regency, so I have to be respectful to that as well. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah. tell you, like, just from a practical standpoint, for me, uh, both as a broker and as a, you know, someone living in America, 
I like to see other businesses engaging because that's where I'm kind of going to. Because I'm like, hey, like we were talking about before, you got the dinner, you're going to look, hey, what is everybody wearing? What does the food look like? But when I see a broker start posting, I'm like, oh, okay, who's this guy? I want to follow this guy. He's starting to show me something. I'm going to get something from him. So I just think if it's like, if it's me, if, if I'm consuming it, other brokers are like, hey, guys, you know all that information you're looking for? It's like right here. You guys can see it. Check it out. This guy's doing it too. And I think that's why I think more people getting involved is better for everyone. Like I was joking with you before, but like, you know, hey, I'm not going to tell people to keep getting on. If I'll keep doing it and then nobody else does it. It'll be better for both of us, right? But I think yeah. that more I think about it is everyone gets on there. You know, it takes another broker to do a deal for the most part. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, if you're not going to get involved and communicate with them in the medium that's progressing, what's, what are you doing? I agree with you 100%. It's mind-boggling to me that brokers as a whole are not fully supporting their agents to do it yeah. just because it's where it's moving. I mean, if you're telling me, if I'm a broker and you're giving me half of your money and you're out there hustling trying to figure out, hey, look, I'm the consumer changed and I think it's going this way, my response is let's go try it and let's see if there's something out there. And as you can see, deals getting done on social media. And I know in our community in South Florida, we have a Facebook page with 400 retail brokers and, you know, all kind of communicating with each other and deals are happening on this page. And, you know, hey, this is being developed. If you're telling me there's no value in that, I, I think you're ludicrous and you've yeah. missed the boat. It, it's, you know, it used to be you'd have to call every single broker to find out what's going on. Now I can, in 15 seconds, have every retail broker in South Florida know about my project or ask a question about a development or, hey, who's repping this person? Does somebody know that? And I can get that information real time. There's value in that. And if, and if you're saying it's not, you're putting yourself out of business. Yeah. So are you finding um, restaurants or more like direct or restaurants or retailers directly contacting you or is it brokers themselves on the social media? I would say right now it's about 75% brokers. Oh, interesting. You know, and other, other in the That's business, and then 25, 30% is actual tenants. Huh. So do you buy into this whole thing of retail is dying? What are we going to do with all these spaces? We got to find other uses for these spaces, you know, just to kind of change the subject here. But I'm just thinking in terms of cultural shifts. So social media, retail is changing. Things are, brands that we grew up with are going away. Uh, I personally don't believe that it's, it's a bad thing, but I'd love to hear from the landlord perspective what your take is on it. I think there's no more room for bad retail. There was a time where you could have a store that maybe wasn't the best store, but because you were the only one in town, the consumer only had one or two choices, you know, you still made money anyway. We have moved into a space where not only are you competing with online sales with Amazon, that's real. Online sales only account 10% overall retail. Yeah, sales. I've heard that. So 90% of sales are still going on in the store. And that, that number is going to get higher and higher. But, you know, let's start with that 10%. But it, there's no room for bad retail. If you are selling a product and your store has no compelling reason for me to go into your store, and I can buy that same product online for the same price or cheaper, Seven out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times, I'm just going to buy it online. Why am I going to, you know, we're living in a society that's so busy, that's working more hours, 
both parents are now working in a household. Some have multiple jobs. Hey, nobody has time. Nobody got time to go yeah. amicably shopping yeah, right. to go buy a curtain rod. Yeah. You know, if I need something that's simple, hey, Amazon, when can it be here tomorrow? Boom, done. All right, move on to the next thing. So it can be commoditized. There's no room for bad retail. We saw that with Pier 1. You know, yeah. I can buy most of that stuff online. Bed Bath & Beyond is another guy. You know, you can buy a lot of that stuff online. Um, they're investing, I think I just saw $400 million into their stores. The CEO came out and said, we admit that our store is a little bit of a mess. And it's hard to get people have, there's too many choices. Right. We're moving into this weird space where you got to be really good on your retail restaurant game. The consumer can between Yelp, Instagram, Facebook. They That's know weird. if you yeah. have one person can ruin a restaurant oh, yeah. with a bad review. Easily. And I think, you know, I think about too, from, from a landlord perspective, it's an opportunity to get kind of creative to allow these, let's just say smaller spaces, the retailers are getting smaller, whatever the case is to create more of a mix where they could play off each other. I actually think yeah. Florida, my parents live in Delray and there's like a couple of shopping centers, like in Boca and I could see them like, oh, these guys all kind of play off each other. This vibe is good. Right. As opposed to being like, you know, I grew up on Long Island and like strip centers were like, the grocery store, the dry cleaner, the Chinese food place, the pizza place, the, you know, the CBS. Yeah. But these are all like, oh, this is cool. This is like a place you can go afterwards. This is a dessert place. The restaurants are over here. The bank is on the outside. How much of a responsibility do you feel to your like tenants, like your bigger tenants or, or like to paint a big picture, like a broader picture of, of what this whole center should feel like, these lifestyle centers? In the lifestyle centers more so, especially power centers, you really have to study the center. And you've got to really think outside the box, especially with the entertainment components that come to the lifestyle properties now. And you really got to find the blend. The, the days of the same 20 tenants going into every single property, you know, whether, you know, the UPS or the mail store, the sandwich store, yeah. the pizza shop, the grocery, those days are really, they don't work anymore. And we've seen that in new developments where people think we're just going to do that. They try to build it and it doesn't work. Right. So you really kind of, number one, need to understand the consumer. What are the demographics? What's the age? What are they looking for? Where are they shopping at? What are they searching online for? What's the geofence studies for the other centers in the area? What are they seeing? How do I build a tenant mix that's going to get that shopper here and go from the restaurant to go buy a, a piece of clothing, to go have dessert, to go to that Instagram friendly business? How do I create the synergy between yeah. all these tenants? And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost art because there is no defined yeah. black or white guide. And you just kind of have to kind of walk the center and feel it. What does it tell you? What's the story it tells you? What kind of cars are in your parking lot? Who's walking to what stores? How old are they? How young are they on their, on their phone? Are they not on their phone? Yeah. And you kind of start getting ideas from what you see in the center and kind of letting it talk to you. But how the hell do you juggle that with the, the amount of centers that you have? I mean, that's, I mean, do you have to pull them up and look at them and see like, Hey, this is okay. This will be a good fit here. This is not, I don't want to put this here because that's a direct competitor with that person. I would imagine there's a lot more strategic planning on, on your end in this instance than there is on, on the tenant rep side. I think when you're working micro in a community that you know, so I've lived in Miami for uh, 20 years. So I, I kind of know a lot of these centers just from knowing, but I also spend a day or two every week. I'm out in the field, you know, showing spaces. That's why I show my own spaces, even though we have brokers. I, I try to show my listings as much as possible. 
Um, and when I'm out, like yesterday is a perfect example. My daughter had a birthday party at Candidopia, which is like a very Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Come and take pictures and all that. So while she's doing that, I'm out walking, literally walking on the street <laughs> in between two shopping centers. What's here? What restaurant's busy? What's not busy? Where are people doing? What are they doing in front of? So I'm just kind of studying people to see what the consumer is doing around my shopping centers. And I'm just kind of taking notes. Well, you know, this type of food is dead. This type of food, two restaurants I've seen serve similar food, they're slammed. You know, this bar is dead. This grocery yeah. store looks kind of lit. This one looks, you know, so, and you start kind of, all right, this market is great for this. This market is good for this. What are the demos in this area? So now I can put two and two together. This market is older, skews higher. So the bars are maybe less empty on a, on a Sunday night. Right. And you kind of start putting together these psychographics of who the consumer is, and it helps you figure out this type of business would play well here. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a science. It's definitely you, you make mistakes along the way. Um, but when you do it long enough, it just becomes, you know, like because you are, you're doing it, you're doing it on a Sunday. You can't help yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> my wife gets super annoyed at me. She's yeah. like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to walk my sister. She's like, all right, I'll be here. I know. I talked to, um, like, talk to my wife. I'm like, yo, we're talking to these people. They want a 4,500 square feet, but now they only want 3,000. And back, you know, they, you know, they just made an LOI over here. And now they're backing out of this lead deal over here. She's like, what? I know. Sorry. Sorry. Never mind. You have no idea what I'm talking about. It's awful. I have learned. My wife, she plays the part. She's like, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. Oh, yeah. And she's my wife. She's like, did they sign the lease or not? I'm like, ah, yeah. So that's, that's what we want to know. The, that's all we want to know. Yeah, yeah, know. <laughs> the, you know, the, um, what was I going to ask you? Now I forgot. Oh, but you know what's interesting to see from the tenant side is the guys who do it really well, restaurants. They will say, you know, you reference geofencing and psychographics and all that stuff. Now with that kind of technology, we're able to like really like hone in on the neighborhood, hone in, hone in on a block. And these guys will say, okay, we want to be on this block right here. We like this corner spot, but that guy's not going anywhere. He's been there 50 years. What about this little strip? Looks interesting. You know, what's the deal? Make some few phone calls. And if they all say, no, landlord says, no, they're all good. They're paying the rent. We're not going anywhere. They say, okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. They'll mm -hmm. wait. They will wait. They will wait. Then second comes available. Boom. LOI. We'll take that. Yeah. And I love that's that. That's happening now. I have a center that's anchored by LA Fitness. And probably one of the strongest Publix is Publix is the dominant grocery in South Florida. In Florida in general. And there, I can't remember the last time there was a restaurant space available in the shopping center. It's, we, we have one vacancy there. The center's almost 300,000 square feet. It's a massive center. And we've had people call us as soon as a restaurant space becomes available here, we want to be here. Well, why? You know, they list those things. We've studied our market. We know our shoppers here. We know our shoppers here. So we, last week we found out we're going to get a 1,600 square foot restaurant back in the center. It's not on the market. I haven't even posted on it online because it's still open and operating. Yeah. So we're trying to be sensitive and they're paying rent. Four or five emails, a few text messages, uh, a photo or two. And the LOIs are starting to come in already. And that's just from restaurant guys like exactly what you just said. Yeah. They won't go across the street. They won't go next door. We want to be here because we know our consumer is the LA fitness guy, the public guy. And I want to be in the middle of those two guys. Call us when it's available. But now, um, you know, that's what's interesting when I, when I learned, you know, started to understand this stuff. 
is that's why when you go to like these four-way intersections and it's like a McDonald's, a Burger King, a Chick-fil-A, and a Taco Bell, because they all want to be on these four-way intersections. They don't care that they're next to another one. Everybody, you know, some people like Taco Bell, some people like Wendy's. They're going to just, they're going to say, I'm, we're going to play the game that we can get everybody from every direction. This is a dense area. And that's just the way it's going to go. And I love that. I love that. I love the science part of that. So I think that's really cool from a landlord perspective. I think it's the reality of, you know, you're not going to, your consumer is not going to choose your product a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Right. If you went to McDonald's, I'm not going to eat McDonald's every night. I'm going to want a variety. But if I'm in the right position where when that guy says, I want to eat something, I'm at least in the conversation. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you're playing the numbers game at that point. That's what they say. You hit it. You hit the ball three out of 10 times. You're in the hall of fame, right? That's probably similar yeah. numbers. That. That's all you need. So are you seeing more of these QSR kind of stuff? What kind of brand? I know we have some different names uh, up north and down south, but are you seeing um, an influx of some more QSR type stuff? Or are you still seeing some traditional sit-down, mom-and-pop stuff? What, what's your mix most in your centers? I, I think the majority of everything is QSR now. It's quick serve. I mean, we still have a lot of traditional restaurants in the play. But when I think about the deals I'm working on now – just across the board, I don't think I have any restaurant deals in play. They're all QSRs, they're yeah. all quick serve. Um, and to be quite honest, the only restaurant deal I did this year already closed, which is terrible for me to say, but they just they just they didn't survive. It was a terrible situation. Oh, they oh they closed like closed closed. Yeah, okay. they they closed okay. in like three months time. Wow. Uh, I, I don't, I just think, you know, with our, a lot of our centers, especially grocery anchor centers, you're paying a premium to be in there. And if you need seating area versus just a few tables to get people in and out, you're paying rent at a point where you got to be on, you got to be on the mark yeah. or you'll be out of business in six months to nine months. So a lot of what I'm seeing is quick serve, 1,500, 2,500 square feet, down and dirty, uh, smaller kitchen, smaller hood, more focus on takeout. Um, you know, we all say Uber Eats and, and Grubhub, but we see what they're doing in the bottom line of the restaurants. Yeah. But it, takeout is kind of the game right now. It's takeout heavy. It's absolutely the game. And, I, and you know, I'm still – I'm an owner of a, a restaurant here in, in a town called Larchmont, and it's a taqueria. And we have gone from about 25 to 35% takeout. And it's um, – we had to raise our prices. And we just, yeah. we were like, oh, you know, we can't, we can't compete at this. This is silly. 35% of our business and we're basically losing money and they understand it. It didn't stop at all. I will see at the end of this month, February is an off month usually, but okay. it's like Friday night. It was, you know, president's week. So it was a little bit slower, but the place was kind of empty, but we did our numbers and it was all on takeout. Wow. Yeah. And are you seeing, so Grubhub has eaten what, 20, 30% of your bottom line on orders? Uh, I think Grubhub is You don't is have to give the exact number. Grubhub okay. is 25 and Uber Eats is 27 or vice versa. I forget. Ah. Yeah. So a quarter of your, of your bottom line is just walking out the door just to get it delivered to the consumer. Yeah. So what we do is we put free taco coins in each one. So if you're at a certain dollar, like if you pay a $25 order, you get one taco coin. If you place, you know, fifty dollar order, you get two. Through over a hundred, you get like three, three or four. And the idea of that being is, you can't use those on your Uber Eats. You can only use them if you come in. And if you come in, no one, no maniac is going to come in and have one taco and leave, or two tacos and leave. You're going to get guac, you're going to get margarita, and you're going to get them to experience the vibe. You know, so like, right. I don't think that we're losing people. There aren't people sitting at home saying, "I want to go to to the taqueria," but. Um, 
I think it's going to order Uber Eats instead. I think it's a separate subculture. You know, it's like gamers or stoners or people just don't want to leave their house or it's too cold or whatever it is. And they'll pay whatever it is. I don't, I don't care. They're like, I want a quesadilla and a Mexican Coke and I'm not going out to get it. <laughs> yeah, I was having a conversation with an older gentleman. He's like, he lives next to a cheesecake factory. All right. And he's like, I didn't care. I, I think it was football Sunday. He's like, I didn't care that how much I had to spend. I wanted cheesecake factory. I paid whatever the delivery fee was. And I just wanted to sit in my couch to eat it. So I think you're right. There's a group of people who just don't want to eat or want the convenience. Yeah. They don't care. They'll pay. But it's not the same. Me and my wife, we hate using Uber Eats. Yeah. Just because, I don't know, we touch my food. No, no offense to Uber Eats drivers, but it's the reality. <laughs> and I want it fresh. I want to eat hot food. I don't want yeah, right. to eat, you know, food that's been in somebody's car for an hour because they had three other deliveries. Oh, I know. Yeah, I used to be involved with a, with a pizza comp, with a pizza um, concept, and we did the same thing. We didn't want to have, like, our pizza be the third pizza delivered, and then it gets cold. And, like, oh, well, don't worry. You know, we eat that fee. I'm like, no, that's, I don't care about the $10 pizza. I care that customer's not coming back. You know, yeah. they're like, oh. They had a bad experience. Yeah. But now they're like, some of these guys are like eating them. They're like eating the fries or something. It's just. Yeah. But look, I think it's just. A, <laughs> they're like, oh, they forgot your fries. I don't know what happened. You well, called them. <laughs> uh, it, it's weird. Just this is like the wild, wild west of retail. Like things yeah. are being reinvented again. And, you know, now everything went from, you know, ordering in to takeout. And now people are like, well, I don't know who really likes takeout because it's not for, I remember when Uber Eats first came out, I was ordering Uber Eats everywhere. I mean, I was just trying, I was like, oh my God, I can get my favorite restaurant food. But then after like six or seven times, like, it's not the same. No, it's not the same. I remember the, I'd one, thing, the one thing that was, there's a ice cream place that opened up and my wife and I, when we first moved out here, we we're like, they'll just deliver ice cream. And they came like 10 minutes later with a pint of ice cream. We're like, this is amazing. It was like $17. Like, okay. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like novelty almost. Like, you did it. It was cool, but no. And now Starbucks does it. Does Starbucks deliver like Uber Eats down by you? Yeah. Yeah. That could be a necessity. That could be a key. But Uh, I I don't know how long that'll last. No, I know. Well, I think, well, you know, I really think what's going to happen, and it's kind of already happening, is in a weird way, it's going to go full circle when these restaurants own their own technology. And then they just have to get over that minimum wage law of paying delivery drivers to stand around or work out some agreement with that. If they have the technology and they have the business and they own the product, I think it's just a matter of time before they say, okay, we don't need you. We don't need you. Yeah. I think Domino's has kind of done that really well. And their technology platform is just kind of, I think Wingstop has kind of taken some of that too. Cause if I have to call Wingstop does delivery themselves. Yeah. I have to fact check myself there. I think they were, I think they, I don't know if all of them do, but I think they were one of the ones that started testing that stuff, I believe. Yeah, it's, I think Wingstop is a great example of what you can do with tech, just because the app itself is so easy just to order what you're trying to get. You know, Wings, you want 50-50 this, 25-25-25, so you're very easily unslideable, you know, little buttons can choose what you want, and then to have it delivered and then proprietary through them, I, I, to me, I don't think Uber... Grubhub and those types of things, it's, uh, they'll be around probably, but I, I think as what you just said, restaurants, as technology becomes more accessible and cheaper, if I'm a large chain, like a Wingstop or Subway, any of these guys who've got scale, 
I'm going to develop my own software and I'm going to find a way to get a driver to do it and keep 25, 35% of my bottom line yeah. in house and control the experience, which I think ultimately right. really matters. Absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest part of it. I mean, McDonald's, I think I read is investing like a billion dollars in technology for this kind of stuff to get it off the ground. So it's definitely coming. And I think that, look, I think people say, Oh, it's the death of this, the death of dining. If I say to most people right now, like, Hey, so-and-so just got engaged or this, our buddy just got a promotion. Let's go out. No one's like, yeah, let's go to McDonald's. You know, yeah. There's always going to be a place, the neighborhood restaurant or the neighborhood, like the corner bar that you're going to go to. You're not going to go to like, let's go to, you know, Chipotle and celebrate this guy's engagement. You know, it's just <laughs> not going to happen. It's going to be, yeah. there's the good ones are going to really benefit. And I think, all the crappy ones are going to fall out and those places will turn into golf simulation places. They'll turn into yeah. medical marijuana, whatever it is. But like, it's just changing. And I think there will still, you're not going to like get engaged to somebody at one of these, you know, one-off dumpling places. You're going to go to the place that is in your neighborhood forever or has a look yeah. and a feel and a vibe. And I think that the, the, the good operators really stand to make it. It's going to be a gold rush for them. Yeah. I, I think it's just, this market is going to sift out all the crap. Yeah, You know, a lot of over bloated. I mean, when you look at the real estate of the people who are closing, these are not guys with 500 square foot stores. These are guys with 20, 30, 40, 50,000 square foot stores that have just become so big. Oh my God. So bloated. So, I mean, when you've got a 50,000 square foot store, even if you're paying five bucks a foot, I mean, you're still cutting checks and you oh. multiply that by 30, 40 stores across the country. That's a lot of damn money. <sighs> There's no room for that anymore. No, I know we have we had an AI Freeman in that Whole Food Center. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They were they're an art supply store, art like canvas. Mark AI Freeman. They were a big. Um, they were a big store down in Manhattan. They had about forty thousand square feet in Manhattan, and they had another forty thousand square foot store up here in Portchester. And I just it's vacant now. And you go in there, and it's like, you mean this place was like paintbrushes and paint and like canvas and this forty thousand square feet i mean we it's been vacant this behemoth just in there when you go in there it's like holy crap how like yeah i can see why this didn't work out it's just not and you're not going to see i don't everybody is downsizing other than your food guys your grocery guys who are kind of staying at that 30 40,000 square foot threshold and we even are adding now food and prepared foods more and more and little sub restaurants in there and all that everybody's getting up Banks are getting smaller and out parcels. Yeah. Food guys are getting smaller. You know, everybody's realizing that as prices per square foot have increased to where they have, you cannot pay, you know, have a bank on an out parcel 5,000 square feet when everybody's on their phone doing mobile banking. Yeah, Why yeah. am I going to pay, you know, 100 bucks a foot to be on a corner when I need, you know, half of that? Yeah. Uh, so all this bad retail that's become very just bloated. It's yeah. going to start get, it is starting to get trimmed down to the true core of who's actually making money, who's doing well, yeah. who's really got that per square foot number tightened up to where they've got a 1200 square foot footprint or 1500 feet. They can operate in it, maximize dollar per square foot and not have all this wasted space that, you know, used to be just, eh, yeah. you know, we can do 1500 to 1800, but we'll take 2500 if we can. Yeah. yeah. Those days are, they're, they're going away quick. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited. I think we're we are, you know, like you said, the Wild West kind of like at the forefront here. So it presents a really cool opportunity. Uh one more thing before I let you go. I'm gonna steal this because I was you know Chris Ressa? Yeah. 
So I was on his podcast and he asked me a, a cool question. I'm going to steal this from him. Okay. Before you go, what are two retailers that you want to see come back? That I want to see come back. Discovery Zone would be one of them because that was just a jam as a kid. <laughs> like, I don't, the Discovery Zone, that was. That I didn't was even know they went away. Yeah, they're not around. At least not down in South Florida. They've oh, been wow. gone for a long time. They closed up everything they had. Okay. Um, I'd say Discovery Zone. Who would be another retailer that closed? I should I should know the answer to this because I listened to Chris's podcast and now I'm disappointed <laughs> in myself. Um, I don't know a second one. I, I kind of miss... It's more nostalgic than anything, but Blockbuster to me was... You knew it was going to be a lit Friday night when you can get the Blockbuster. You could turn the box and there was still one left. It's yeah. like, all right, you got the movie you wanted. And it was just a cool place to go hang out with your friends and pick out movies and all that. That I was mine. That was my it. pick. That was my selection, too. Because it was, was like it? a thing. Yeah, you come home from school. What are we doing? We're going to pick up pizza. We're going to Blockbuster, pick up pizza. You're like, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. And then they got video games and you were like, well, my, what? I want this one, this I one. Want, just give me a pass to Blockbuster and I'm good to go. <laughs> I, these kids don't know. They have everything way too quick. The, the fear of getting to the store and your game or your movie not being there and then having to get run to the other Blockbuster or trying to call them, hey, do you have this? Can you hold it for me? <laughs> yes, that. That's right. That's right. What about when you used to get like a VCR tape and it wasn't rewound? You'd be like, ah. Now we got to wait to rewind this thing? Like, oh. You know, be kind. Rewind, you know? Come on. And then they started charging you like 50 cents if you didn't Yeah, if you didn't rewind your video. <laughs> it sounds like These guys that's, don't the know, man. Ever felt. that's the oldest I've ever felt saying that. Rewind the tapes. It's yeah, crazy. these kids don't know. I actually had to explain to my daughter what a cassette was. She didn't realize that, you know, it's not a CD or digital. You'd put a, a tape in. You'd have to fast forward and rewind to find your song and you know, listen to it, and they had to fast forward. She's like, so how'd you know where you were, and, you know, on the tape? She's like, you have a list, and you fast forward and rewind. Yeah, like, yeah. have to waste time. Well, what if when, like, the tape got stretched out, you had to put your pencil in it? <laughs> and real to rewind all the, the stuff back into it. Nah, nah, we, we really are, we're, pioneer, we're pioneers, not because we're at the forefront. We've just been around that long. We've seen too much so. I think people this age were in that 30 to 40 age range. We were the last analog and we saw digital adoption. Yeah. So we've got a little bit of both, and we're comfortable enough with technology that we can use it, but I think we still have some of that analog in us. Oh, and sure. so I, I think the ones who can adopt it, you know, I mean, our next the generation after us, it's just going to be normal for them. So it's either you got to do it now before they get old enough, or you're going to miss out. Oh, my God. I mean, I, we were talking about G, the, the kid who does, um, he works with me making the videos, and he – well, I was like, dude, can you just send me something? So, you know, so we'll go like on a shoot. We'll be in the car. He'll take the card out of the camera, put it in. He'll like edit it down. He's like, I just texted you. I'm like, holy the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking about like, like the day. Like, How old is he though? He's 24. Okay, yeah. So he's at that age where he's just, it's just, it's normal to him. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Well, he's he so Oh, yeah. I mean, he. I'll tell you what, he has a good respect because his dad grew up. His dad was a hip-hop artist growing up, so he has, like, a lot of those old, like, reels of music and things like that. So he has an uh, appreciation, but that they are so used to getting things done now. Give it to me now. I'll edit it right now. I have my laptop. I can do it on my phone. I'll send it to you. I'll Dropbox it. I'll send it to WeTransfer. Like, yeah. So okay, no, 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 no. Yeah, totally.
All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I want to take a second here and just remind you that, like I said earlier, my goal is to help reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. So what I did is I went on my Instagram and I created a link to my calendar. And if you head there and you click the link in my bio and you scroll down, you'll see that there's a drop down menu there and it says 15 minute phone consultation. So if you're a restaurant owner operator and you just have a quick question, you don't know where to turn, whether it's about operations, whether it's about a startup, how to find money or what to do with this particular server, whatever the case may be, I am there for you. It's a free 15 minute phone consultation and I'm here to help. So if you need it, you know how to find me and continue to listen and support the podcast. I would love if you would uh, share, comment, review, whatever, all that fun stuff. Uh, and I just appreciate the love and support I've been getting for this. So we're going to keep cranking them out. And if you're interested in being on the show, please hit me up. Best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram, or you can always text me at 631-965-1300. Thanks so much again, guys.